Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. True spirituality doesn't come naturally. God has got to do something in your heart and my heart to quicken us and open our eyes and open our ears so that we can really see, hear and feel what he is saying. And if the Spirit of God doesn't do it in your heart, you're spiritually dead. True spirituality does not come naturally. It takes wisdom to understand God's word. God was speaking to the Israelites through the prophet Jeremiah and asking who understands. Let's join Dr. Corbett now in Jeremiah chapter 9 for this evening's message, Who Really Understands? Verse 12 and we're going down to verse 22. As we do this, we'll pray in a moment and we'll invite the Holy Spirit to perhaps quicken something into our hearts and perhaps something will be said that may strike your heart and stir something of God in you as well. This, this section of Jeremiah comes as he's now confronting a new king, the, the, the new king of, of Judah, Jeconiah, and he, Jeremiah was called to the prophetic ministry in the final years of King Josiah. And King Josiah was a good king. In fact, when King Josiah died in his 30s, he died quite young. Jeremiah, it says in was it 2 Kings or 2 Chronicles 35, wrote a lament that is a, a poem of grief. We haven't got that. We don't know what he wrote. But he was somebody who admired King Josiah because King Josiah was a good king. And good king means he was somebody who had a heart after God, was sensitive to God and was able to make courageous decisions to lead people in the right way. Jeremiah was called at a very young age and it was a reluctant call. You remember when God called him in chapter 1? He didn't want the call. In fact, he, he put up several excuses as to why God shouldn't call him. He said, I'm too young. He said, no one will listen to me because I'm just a youth. And we see in chapter 1 how God responded to that. And we, and we get the impression that Jeremiah, if, if we could do a little bit of a, perhaps a psychological analysis of Jeremiah, we might say he was extremely introverted, an extremely shy person. Now, I don't know if you feel that way yourself I, I've, I, I my most natural tendency believe it or not is, is actually to be quite shy and uh, for some people they are what we call gregarious they are very loud and outspoken in every context I'm only loud and outspoken when I'm standing behind this thing apart from that I'm, I'm pretty private and, and, and shy and Jeremiah, I get the impression Jeremiah was similar. I get the impression that he was a very private person, a very shy person. And so when God called him to this ministry, this prophetic ministry to the nation, God was taking somebody and getting them to do something that in themselves they could not do. And I think you're going to find that when God calls you to do something, it, it, if what God calls you to do is not impossible... God's probably not in it. Someone has said this, ministry generally is not difficult. It's impossible. Therefore, you need God's help. So here we have Jeremiah, this young man who is told from the outset of his ministry, 
You're going to speak and people are going to reject you. They will not listen. Now, for someone who's also very private and very shy and my entire life has spent you know, participating in sport that essentially... The, the, I'm not, a, I'm not a real big team sport person. I like watching it, but teams kind of, you know, team sport, I'm tennis. I like tennis because tennis, I can, I can control my side of the courts. I'm a very private individual, even in my sport. And, and, and the consolation is if you're going to be a private person, you, you want to win, you want to succeed. And in fact, the people who really are, are the most successful people are usually successful in individual sports and they're very, very driven. So the payoff for being shy and private and introvert is success. I mean, you're prepared to step out of your comfort zone and do something that is kind of uncomfortable for you if you're going to be successful. Well, how did Jeremiah feel? Shy, private, introverted, steps into the public arena and God tells him you won't be successful. The people will not listen to you. So how does Jeremiah feel? <laughs> Come with me to chapter 9, first few verses. This is what he says. And if I could sum it up, he puts it this way. Oh, that my head were waters, that my eyes were a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. I might paraphrase that this way. Right now, I just want to have a complete meltdown. I just want to have a complete and utter breakdown. I want to shut down my physical systems. I am so distraught. I, I feel the word of the Lord in me. I am sharing the word of the Lord. And it is being thrown back in my face. Oh, that my head were waters. I would just bawl and bawl and bawl my eyes out, the prophet says. How's he feeling? We come down to the second verse, the next verse. Oh, that I had in the desert a traveller's lodging place, a shack, if you will, that I might leave my people and go away from them, for they are all adulterers, a company of treacherous men. They bend it and so on. So he just wants, he just, look, I just... I don't want the public light. I don't want to be in the spotlight. I don't want the public arena. I Just get me out of here. This is so not me. Now imagine you're God in heaven and you're seeing your servant respond this way. How do you deal with them? God is patient. And in a very powerful way, Jeremiah becomes a model to the nation of of the kind of heart and response that God is looking for. And what we're going to see in Jeremiah is something like this. Jeremiah is constantly telling God, I can't do this, I don't want to do this, it's too hard, they won't listen to me. And God just keeps coming, keeps coming, keeps coming, keeps giving him a word. And success looks different. Success looks different. Sometimes we think we're failing when in fact, as parents, we're being consistent, we're being consistent, we're being consistent, and it looks like our children are getting worse and worse and worse, but then eventually they do something that surprises you and you go, oh, it's paying off, I'm getting somewhere. 
In business, you do the right thing long enough and eventually it will pay off as well. There is this principle. So we're coming over to verse 12 of this chapter. We're taking our time through this chapter because there is so much here. I want to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us now and to help us to, to receive what God wants to say. Father, open our eyes, open our hearts, help us to understand and help us to see what you want us to see. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Holy Spirit is able to take this word and in a supernatural way put it into our soul and speak to us right where we're at right now. We're reading this section from verse 12 and this part 20 of Jeremiah is who really understands. It's the cry of the prophet. Jeremiah's been talking now for some eight or nine chapters and he, he, the Spirit of God within him now puts this question out there, who understands? Who, who gets this? And, and in fact, the, the question actually contains the answer. The question says, if you're wise, you'll get this. Now, biblically, we need to understand that there's quite a different understanding to the word knowledge. Knowledge can be a fact, but biblically, more often than not, knowledge is what you are related to. It's what you are involved with. There's, there's, knowledge in Scripture is, is intimately acquainted with. It's like saying, do you, do you know this person? In the biblical sense, Adam knew Eve. And the, the next thing in that verse, it says, and she conceived. So that you understand knowing the Hebrew word yador uh, or yada is, is an intimate knowing. And the kind of knowing that God wants us to really have is called wisdom. It's where you know something and you become intimately acquainted with it so that you can do something positive about what you now know. So here's the prophet's question. Who really Understands, And we're going to see this in verse 12. Let's set a bit of the backdrop. Jeremiah is confronted with a city that's full of idolatry. It's full of adultery. There's rampant sexual sin. There's rampant idolatry. There's false worship. They appeal to the fact that they had the temple, the temple of the Lord, and that therefore God was with them. In fact, they knew exactly where God was. God was in that building just over there. And because of that, they, they became smug and arrogant and their religious devotion to God became half-hearted and eventually became completely compromised. So we're in verse 12 and this is what it says. Who is the man so wise that he can understand this? To whom has the mouth of the Lord spoken that he may declare it? Why is the land ruined and laid waste like a wilderness, so that no one passes through. You may notice in the background of the slide is a picture of Jerusalem after Jeremiah 52, where the Babylonians have completely destroyed the city and it literally became a wilderness. Who is the wise man that can understand this? There's a number of questions posed here in this verse and I want to explore them at the moment. Firstly, 
Who is the wise man? It takes wisdom to understand God's word. You could read God's word and this could be like bouncing a ping pong ball off a brick wall to you. If your heart is hard, it won't get in. In that wonderful theological series of movies called The Godfather, right at the end, you may remember there's a scene that comes near the climax of the movie where Michael Corleone goes to the Vatican to find out which of the corrupt cardinals has stolen his money. <laughs> oh, boy. And he's a little bit afraid of the Vatican, which is saying something for the mafia boss to be afraid of the Vatican. And in this movie, it's a poignant scene where he encounters a cardinal who actually knows Christ. Don't even remember this scene. Michael Corleone is there, the, the godfather, and, and he's pretending to be a good Catholic and he's pretending to be all pious and so on. And he confronts this cardinal who looks not at him but into him. And this cardinal says something to him like, you seemed very, very troubled in your soul. And at that moment comes flashes of how this man killed his own brother. As a young man, he, he, he exercised a contractual hit on his own brother. And the guilt and the shame that he has been carrying all these years, he's never told anyone. On the exterior, he's the tough mafia boss. And this cardinal pins him to the wall with his words, you are a man with a troubled soul. And Michael Corleone, the Godfather, laughs it off and says, oh, well, you know, we've all got our problems. And he says, no. And he pins him again and he reaches over to a smooth stone in a fountain and he picks it up and he says, you know, much of Europe is like this stone. He said, this stone is sitting in water that could refresh it. This stone is sitting in water that could moisten it and soften it. This stone is sitting in this water. It is immersed in this water. It is not for lack of water that this stone is dry. And then with that, he cracks it like an egg, opens it up and shows Michael Corleone on the inside of this stone, it is dry as dust. And he says, if your heart is hard toward God, you will not know the forgiveness of God. And something registers Michael Corleone where he says, Father, I have done so many things. And, and the cardinal assures him of the grace of God to forgive. He says, no, God, not even God could forgive me. He says, God has forgiven you. Will you confess? And with that, he goes to one side of a pillar. The cardinal goes to the other side of a pillar and he bears his soul. And he confesses. He confesses to what he's done and something is transformed in this man. It's an amazing scene in a movie filled with graphic depictions of hate and violence. A poignant scene. It takes a heart of wisdom to understand the word of God. I think it's John 9 or 10 or so. John 9, I think, it where... Jesus is surrounded by people and suddenly the voice of God breaks through. This is my son, listen to him. 
and people with hard hearts heard that as just thunder and rumbling. Paul, on the road to Damascus, is travelling with a company of people. He's knocked off his horse. He encounters the vision of Christ. He's hearing Christ and others are hearing something going on around him. Paul is hearing Christ. Others are hearing strange noises. R.C. Sproul, as a young man, went to a, a university meeting with a bunch of his buddies to, to mock these weird Christians. And as he went to this meeting, he was gripped, absolutely gripped. And he came out of that meeting convicted to the toenails of his condition before God. He went back to his dorm, his college buddies went back to their dorms and and in the morning they met up and he was convinced that they too were convicted. He was convinced that they too heard and saw what he saw that night of a holy God, a God who would hold them to account, a God who would one day judge them, but a God who had made an escape from that judgment because of Jesus Christ. And R.C. Sproul was convinced that his buddies heard the same thing. And when he caught up with them in the morning, it was obvious that they'd heard nothing. They mocked the meeting. They lampooned and laughed at these silly Christians for their stupid gospel. And R.C. Sproul looked at them like, what are you talking about? And today, Dr. R.C. Sproul is one of the most powerful preachers on the planet. God gripped him as a young man. It takes wisdom to understand God's word. But notice the last part of this verse. It says this, why is it that the land is ruined and laid waste like a wilderness? Now you would think if you saw a, a wasted land and a wilderness, you would go, that's the devil's work. But God is saying, no, it's me. Therefore, it also takes wisdom to understand God's ways. Sometimes adverse things happen, and we're going to see this in a moment. And we interpret those things often, well, that's the devil having a go, when in fact, it may be God. And just as C.S. Lewis described this God in his Chronicles of Narnia series as a God who is not a tame lion, God will sometimes do things that we may not like, and it takes wisdom to understand God's ways. God can use even adverse circumstances to bring us to him and to his forgiveness. Um, notice the, the question. We, we, we come to this question. Who is, the wise, who is the man so wise? It's as if Jeremiah is saying, I, I can't find anyone. It's as if Jeremiah is saying that true spirituality, authentic spirituality, real spirituality, now get it in the context that he's saying, this is a people that went to the temple. This is a people that were doing animal sacrifices. This is a people that were looking religious. This is a people that were praying in public. And Jeremiah says, which one of you are really spiritual? True, authentic spirituality is very hard to find. It seems that he's saying it doesn't come naturally. True spirituality doesn't come naturally. God has got to do something in your heart and my heart to quicken us 
and open our eyes and open our ears so that we can really see, hear and feel what he is saying. And if the Spirit of God doesn't do it in your heart, you're dead. You're spiritually dead. And Jeremiah is confronting this. God had done something in his life. I remind you, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, it says this, We who were dead in trespasses and sins have been made alive in Christ. Without Christ, you're spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. God will not reward people on the day of judgment because they've been spiritual, because they have prayed. You could be spiritual for all the wrong reasons. You could be praying to all the wrong gods. God's not going to reward that. Who is the wise man? Notice the other thing too. To whom has the, uh, has the mouth of the Lord spoken that he may declare it? Here's the other thing too. Genuine prophets are not common. Genuine prophets are not common. They're not common. People who really hear from God are not common. And you might go, well, and? No, this is in the context of Jeremiah is one of many prophets before the king in this day. There was a whole bunch of people claiming to be a prophet. And they were standing before the king and Jeremiah was just one of them. And Jeremiah declares this, to whom has the word of the Lord been revealed as if to say, not to you guys, How can you tell whether the word of the Lord has been revealed to a prophet? We're going to have a look at that as we progress through this because I want you to see something about what Jeremiah said. So the last part of this verse talks about the ultimate destruction of Jerusalem and God is declaring this is his doing. And ultimately because God did this, the people were taken out of the land They were taken to Babylon. Some really positive things happened in Babylon. Just read the book of Esther, um, Nehemiah, Ezra, especially the book of Daniel. Really positive things came out of this as a result of God sending them to Babylon. And then when he brought them back, which Jeremiah says in chapter 29, God would do, the most positive thing happened. It paved the way for the coming of Christ. So it seems that God will sometimes use adverse circumstances, adverse situations for his good and for our good. Ever gone through an adverse circumstance that at the time was no fun at all, but now you look back on it and go, thank God that happened to me. That's the kind of God we serve. Next verse, verse 13. And the Lord says... Because they have forsaken my law that I set before them and have not obeyed my voice or walked in accord with it. Uh, Verse 14. But have stubbornly followed their own hearts and have gone after the Baals as their fathers taught them. Wow. I I want you to see here... The prophet Jeremiah is declaring something that God has already said. God's already said it. God has already revealed his will through his word. What Jeremiah is saying to them, just a hundred years or so earlier, the prophet prophet Isaiah said exactly the same thing. 
During the reign of King Josiah, you may remember that the law was discovered and they presented the law to this prophetess by the name of Huldah. And Huldah read the law and the Spirit of God came upon her and she prophesied that they would be dispersed from their land because of their rebellion. What Jeremiah is now saying is not new. This is not new, but it sounds new. It sounds new because their hearts had been so hard to what God had said before, they didn't hear it, they didn't get it. It takes an openness of heart for us to receive what God is saying because God may have already said something. So God is revealing right now to Jeremiah a quickening of his word. And this is what the Spirit of God can do. The Spirit of God, God can reveal things through his voice or his spirit. Notice that last part of verse 13. They have not obeyed my voice. It's not just a matter of not obeying the law, not obeying the word. They hadn't obeyed the voice of God. You notice also that they'd received the word, they'd, re- they'd had the voice of God spoken to them, they'd had prophet after prophet after prophet, and yet they still resisted. That's amazing. We read in John 6 this morning that Jesus, Jesus did miracle after miracle after miracle, gave prophecy after prophecy that came true within their lifetime, and they still refused to believe. I read John chapter 11, the raising of Lazarus, with absolute bewilderment. That when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, the Pharisees over there are now plotting, how can they kill Jesus? I'm going, what the fat is going on here? Just submit to the guy. Just acknowledge that he really is God. Don't go and kill him. What unbelievable how hard the human heart can be. So the will of God can be stubbornly resisted through pride. Isn't this this the way, though, with the human heart? Here's Jeremiah. He's just one of a number of prophets who's sharing the word of God. And how does he get treated? You read on in the book of Jeremiah. Eventually, they're doing three things to him. Firstly, they're trying to ignore him. They ignore him. Just shut up. Go away. Whatever. But they can't ignore him. He won't shut up. So then what's the next thing they do? They ridicule him. They mock him. And we'll see as we go on that there are prophets, these so-called prophets, that mock him and publicly mock him. Then what's the next thing? Because that didn't work. That didn't shut him up. So what's the next thing they did? The next thing they did was they persecuted him and he went through horrible persecution. Feet tied by rope, lowered down into an empty well full of poo and bleh. That's the Hebrew for yuck. And there he is to dangle upside down in this, it's called mire. Isn't that a nice word? Mire. Keeps going. And yet even though everything he's saying is coming true, They still resist. And they resist. And it shows that if your heart is not in the right place when the word of God is being preached, and I know in church it's possible for you to grow up in church, come to church because your parents made you come to church, you're hearing the word of the Lord, and you're more interested in whatever else. Because God hasn't yet 
gripped your heart. And this is Jeremiah's ache that people didn't get it. Next verse. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed this people with bitter food and give them poisonous water to drink. Verse 16. I will scatter them among the nations whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them until I have consumed them. Now, Jeremiah is simply prophesying what God had already written, what God had already delivered to them in the word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 27. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you if you don't obey me. Uh, Deuteronomy 28, verse 64. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. First Kings 14, 15, same thing. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 8, same thing. This was already established in the word of God, what Jeremiah is prophesying. He's not giving them any new information. And, and the best word from God for today is a word that God has already spoken. It's not new. It's quickened. It's fresh. And this is what Jeremiah is doing. Verse 17. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider and call for the mourning women to come and send for the skillful women to come. What's all that about? Well, there were actually people that you could hire to come to a funeral in the lead up to the funeral who would carry on. They would, they would wail and bemoan. And like, literally, like that. I can't do it. Kim does it really, really well. And we've been to Africa where they, where they, where they do this wailing noise. But in some parts of the world, if you want to show a big show of grief, you can, you can actually hire in. It's kind of like, you know, I guess hypothetically, if people today were to hire protesters, it's the same kind of thing. Where you can hire in these people to make a scene. And notice this, the prophet is saying, you're going to have to start hiring people because what, you, what, what is going to happen to this city, you're not just going to cry a few tears, you are going to want to carry on big time. You are going to want to... Now, listen to what else he says here. Verse 18. Let us make haste and raise a wailing over us that our eyes may run down with tears, that our eyelids flow with water. Verse 19. For the sound of wailing is heard from Zion. How we are ruined. We are utterly shamed because we have left the land because they have cast down our dwellings. Verse 20. Hear, O women... The word of the Lord and let your ear receive the word of his mouth. And the prophet is going to say, you're going to run out of these professional wailing women. There is going to be so much bloodshed, so much death and misery. There aren't going to be enough wailing women to go around. And he's now going to say, you see it in the middle of this verse, you're going to have to train your daughters to wail like the professioning professional wailing women. And tragically, everything Jeremiah said happened. It came to pass. Wow. So what do we see from this? There are consequences for rejecting God and his word. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, 
but the free gift of God is eternal life. Sometimes God will use adversity, and I hope the first thing that we can see that if God is wanting to do something in our lives, perhaps soften our heart, get our attention, we shouldn't always interpret adversity as God abandoning us. But God may not be abandoning you. He may be in the midst of something very, very good that he's doing in your life. So it's not necessarily God's abandonment. We shouldn't interpret it that way. When Jeremiah was speaking this, the second thing I think we can see is that they didn't recognise this as the word of God. They didn't recognise this as God speaking. Why didn't they recognise it as God speaking? Because they weren't familiar with God speaking. They weren't familiar with the word of God. So what should we do as God's people? We should be familiar with God's word. Familiar with God's word. We, I don't think we have any excuse not to be daily readers of the word of God. And I pray that we will be. We must keep our hearts tender before God. See, in this passage, here's Jeremiah pouring out his heart, a heart that he's already said is overflowing with tears for his people, and yet their heart is hard. You can't have the word of God take effect in your life if your heart is hard. We've got to have a soft heart, a tender heart. As I was preparing this through the week, my constant prayer was, oh God, do whatever you want to do in me first before you do it in anybody else. I want my heart to be soft and moulded and shaped by God. We must have a tender heart before God. Those are the three things I see in this passage. I want to close in prayer and I want to invite God to have his way in our hearts. Father, have your way in my heart. Lead me deeper into your will. Please show me anything, whatever it be, whether it be an action, an attitude, or a way of thinking that does not honour you. Give me a tender heart that is fully devoted to you and your cause. Forgive me for my rebellion and sins and wash me clean. In Jesus' name, amen. True spirituality does not come naturally. A religious facade does not give you the wisdom to understand God's word. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Jeremiah Session 20, Who Really Understands, are available from Lagana Media. You can contact us at PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277, or via the website findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.